0: Hey friends, good morning. If we can, let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're continuing in our sermon series in the book of 1 Corinthians, which is going to take us all the way uh, till right before our summer. So we're, we're going to be in this for the long haul. Also, again, if I can just say what an awesome thing to be able to hear stories, especially from the Chenries, about their just journey around adoption. And the reason we're so committed to adoption and save families, if you've not heard about it, and especially if you're new with us as a church, is because we are utterly committed. To the gospel, and we don't think that there's a better picture of the gospel than through adoption because we were once spiritual orphans, but now because of Christ, we've been adopted into the family of God, that God is now our father. So every single time that as Christians we have a chance to adopt, that's the gospel that we get to proclaim in a very tangible picture uh, towards other people. Oh, also, as well, too, if you don't know who I am, my name's Kenson. If you're newer with us, I am the pastor of our Bridgeport Church. So really grateful to be with you all. Uh, I haven't been here for, for the last few months here. Rafe doesn't want me back, but, you know, I forced my way back here. And no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Once you guys moved to 10 a.m., sharing teaching was, was, we, we, it was much harder to do because Bridgeport meets at 10 a.m. as well, too. So grateful to be here. Your pastor, Rafe, is at Bridgeport serving my people. People right now, so First Corinthians chapter six. Let me read our verses, and then we're going to jump into a pretty deep topic today. Okay, so First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine to twenty. It says this: Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived; neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. "'Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. "'And such were some of you. "'But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ "'and by the Spirit of God.'" Verse 12, "'All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. "'All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything.'" You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, as we discuss the topic of sexuality in the church this morning, this is a topic that stirs in us so many different fears, confusion, hurts, and pain. You know, as we come before you in a very vulnerable place today, Would you meet us with your love and mercy? May we see the wisdom of the truth of your word and help us to follow Jesus in every aspect of our lives, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, financially, physically, and sexually. Be with us, we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I'll never forget many years ago when I was doing college ministry, someone came out to me. You know, he talked about how he loved Jesus, but he had feelings that he didn't choose And couldn't pray away. And I could hear the ache in his voice. I could see his body and hands shaking because of the shame and the fear of talking to me. And this is a tension that some of you might be feeling today. How do our sexual desires relate to our faith in Jesus? How can we as a church faithfully follow Jesus in a city that has its own understanding of sexuality. You know, I believe God's word reveals not only his design, but also his heart and wisdom for how we can live for him today. Now, I want to be clear. Our passage is not exclusively about same-sex attraction and behavior. There are other issues and themes mentioned in these verses, but I'm going to give this topic a little more attention because of the confusion and complexity and hurt that we've seen in the church around this topic, that I believe that it would be a disservice to skim through it or just to. Avoid it. Now, before we get into this topic, I first want to give a framework for how to approach this topic. First, I want to say this God's design for sexuality is beautiful. You know, Christians often feel tempted to feel ashamed about this topic, that the Christian sexual ethic is outdated and it's restrictive, but we got to follow it because it's in the Bible. No, no. Biblical sexuality is not old-fashioned. It's God's design for human flourishing. Sex is God's idea, not the devil's. God gave us bodies and the gift of pleasure. God commands people to be fruitful and to multiply. Christians should have a very positive, beautiful vision of sexuality. Secondly, I want to say that while we believe sex is sacred and beautiful, the church has failed miserably in the area of sexuality. You know, what I mean is that the church has largely elevated homosexual sin as the unforgivable sin and then condemned anyone who's even tempted to it. All the while, the church has been steeped in pornography, premarital sex, adultery, lust, no-fault divorce, and sexual abuse. It is no surprise that the gay community thinks that the church is filled with people who are hateful and hypocritical because we have conveniently minimized our sins while elevating the sins of others. If we're going to value truth as a church, we have to own up to how we have failed to show up with God's love towards this community. So for those of you who are here today who are attracted to the same sex, you consider yourself lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, intersex, or asexual, on behalf of the church, we're sorry. We're sorry for not acknowledging your experience and creating space for you to be honest and open. We're sorry for confusing your pain with disbelief. We're sorry for using truth to dismiss you or shame you. We are so sorry that we've been quick to speak and slow to listen. You know, church, as we approach the subject of sexuality, we need to do so not with self-righteousness, but with humility and Repentance. And here's the final thing I want to say Sex is never just about sex. Now, some people might think why do Christians care so much about what I do under the sheets? You know, mind your own business. The reason we have to talk about sex is because sex is not just about animal instincts or romantic appetites. Rather, what you believe about sex comes from what we believe about the meaning of life. That if you notice, if you observe the debates today over sexuality, the conflict is not what we do with our private parts. Instead, it is a collision of narratives that we live by. Our society right now is deeply shaped by the narrative of expressive individualism. This is why sexuality has become Becomes such one of the most important topics in our society because our sexuality is one of the strongest ways to create and express identity. That what I feel is who I am, and I have to be true to myself. That is the cultural slogan of today. My goal this morning is not to merely show you the goodness and wisdom of biblical sexuality, but it's to also show you that Jesus offers a more compelling narrative to live by. That's when we understand understand the wonderful life-giving kingship of Christ, it will make sense to build every aspect of our lives around him. So it's with this framework, let's go ahead and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, the verses that I read here today, this passage is broken down into two parts. In verses 9 to 11, Paul addresses sinful behaviors in the church. And in verses 12 to 20, Paul addresses the bad theology that has led to these bad practices. So in verses 9 to 11, Paul addresses the sinful behaviors. So let's take a look at these behaviors and why it's tearing the church apart. Uh, Verses 9 and 10 here again. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the first thing I want to point out is notice in verses 9 and 10 how these verses are sandwiched with the kingdom of God. That it starts with the kingdom, it ends with the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is a vision of God's gracious reign in every aspect of our lives. And this is the narrative that we are to live by. Now, what Paul is doing here is that he is teaching us to say no to lesser desires and to say yes to a greater desire, to a greater future. That as we go through the list of sins here, it's not because God is, you know, prohibiting this because he's being restrictive or, or he doesn't care about our happiness, but instead, the way we need to see it is that God is calling us to live for so much more, for the kingdom of God. Live for that. You know, C.S. Lewis said this in his book, The Weight of Glory, and let me read you the quote and show it to you here. C.S. Lewis said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition When infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. The battle with sin is always in the arena of our desires. Don't live for instant gratification. Don't live for temporary fulfillment. Live for the kingdom of God. Live with an eternal perspective. Live for the life that is truly life, which is in Christ. Also, I want to point out what the list of sins here, that all of these sins here are habitual, unrepentant sins. Okay, they're all in the present tense, which is meant to tell us that, you know, Paul's not saying that if you sin once, you don't enter the kingdom of God. Paul is talking about people who are actively and persistently rejecting God's goodness. So let's go ahead and look at the list here. First, Paul says sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the the, the Greek word here is pornea. Now, this is the umbrella term for any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. So this would include lust, pornography, adultery, homosexual practice, premarital sex, sexual abuse. Notice that scripture does not isolate one sexual sin, but shows that all fall short of the glory of God. Paul then says idolaters, which refer to worshiping false God, which was back in the city of Corinth, connected at the same time to temple prostitution. Then Paul says that we see adulterers. In the ancient culture, men could do anything they wanted sexually, including adultery with concubines, slaves, young boys, prostitutes. These were all socially acceptable. But Paul says here that no adulterers will inherit the kingdom of God. Next we see is men who practice homosexuality and this is where we're going to spend a bit of time here okay now there's a nuance to this phrase it's actually two words in the greek and let me just show you to show it to you on the screen back here two words we have malakoi and arsakanoitai so malakoi literally means soft it's often referred to effeminate men particularly to the passive male partner in gay sex Arskenotai means to lie in bed with a man which is based off of Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13 in which God forbids if a man lies with a male as with a woman. So these two words combined refer to the passive and dominant partners in gay sex. So is homosexual practice sin? Yes. The Bible consistently affirms this, not just here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 or Leviticus chapter 20 or in Romans chapter 1 verses 26 and 27 or in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10, throughout the story of scripture from Moses to Jesus to Paul, sex belongs in the context of a loving covenant between husband and wife. Outside of that in any form is destructive and hurtful. Now, I do want to be clear, There's there's a big difference between sin and temptation. It is a sin to engage in sexual activity outside of marriage. It is a sin to embrace the lust. It is not a sin to be tempted by lust. And it's not as though like heterosexual people have good temptations to lust and then gay people have bad temptations. No, we are all sexually broken. And a way to holiness is not by having no temptations, but by trusting in Christ in the midst of temptations. Now, I know that there is pushback to what I'm saying here, that many of us know Christians who believe that homosexuality is okay. And I am sure that there are some sitting here today that you believe that this is good. What is wrong with this? Now, when it comes to Christians who say that homosexual practice is okay, there's usually two approaches to how they get there. One is that they would say the Bible is wrong. They recognize what the Bible says is as clear as day about sexuality, but their conclusion is that the Bible is outdated and it doesn't fit in our progressive world today, so they ignore these verses. Another approach to affirming this position is not to dismiss the Bible, but it's to interpret it differently. That when the Bible says homosexual practice is a sin, it really doesn't mean what it means. Now honestly, it takes a Simone Biles level of interpretive gymnastics to get there, but here's the basic argument. Gay affirming Christians will say that when the Bible forbids homosexual practice, it's only referring to exploitive, non consensual types of homosexuality, such as that between older men and young boys. In addition, they would say that Paul did not forbid committed, monogamous, same sex relationships between adults. Paul just didn't have the chance to see these relationships like we do today in our modern culture. Here's the problem with this. Certainly, there were forms of exploitive homosexuality in their day, such as older men having sex with young boys, which was very common in their culture. But sometimes we tend to think that no one in all of history has ever been open about homosexuality until the last few generations in America. That is not the case at all. Homosexuality was commonly practiced and widely accepted in the first century Greco-Roman world. Some of the most well-known Greek philosophers were gay. Socrates and Aristotle was gay, as was was Plato. As a matter of fact, Plato's writing, the Symposium of Love, one of his most famous writings, was Plato writing about his homosexual behavior, his homosexual lovers. Same-sex attraction and behavior was something that was very commonplace in Paul's time. So if Paul wanted to call out certain forms of homosexual exploitive forms There were specific words that Paul could have used, but Paul doesn't do this. Paul uses a more general term that forbids any kind of homosexual practice. For Christians to affirm homosexual practice, it would put them in a different place than what is most clearly shown from God's word. Now, let me just say that if you disagree or if you're offended by this position, Please don't receive this as, you know what, since we disagree on this, you know, we we, we don't want you here. No, not at all. Not at all. Let's journey together and in good faith, let's listen and love each other as we come prayerfully before God's word. Now, if I can just say too often, the church has read these verses and has stopped here with the sin of homosexual behavior and said, amen, preach it, you know? Not so fast, not so fast. The list keeps going. It goes on to say that neither thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you lie? for personal gain? Have you taken things that you shouldn't have, like from your office? I don't know. You know, how about when you do your taxes? Are you being truthful there, right? I don't know what's going on there. It says here that the greedy shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Have you ever wanted something that you didn't have? Have you ever failed to share with other people? It says nor drunkards nor revilers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Do you indulge yourself? Do you binge and binge and binge? Do you trash talk about other people? It also says, nor, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Have you ever tried to take advantage of someone else? Maybe in a business transaction, maybe on Facebook Marketplace, you know, who knows, you know? Are you using people instead of serving people? Don't miss this. Paul does not elevate one sin over another, and neither should we, but this has been the hypocrisy of the church. The church has been guilty of isolating homosexual sin while failing to address their own sins with racism and gluttony and greed and gossip and on and on it can go. Why? It's because it's easier to look at the sins of others than the one in my own heart. All these sins, if not confessed and repented of, will bar us from the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to feel the weight of all of this. Now, not just the weight of homosexual practice, but the weight of all of our sins before God. Whether you're sleeping with your girlfriend or boyfriend, whether you're casually hooking up with that person, or you're watching pornography or watching shows that glorify sexual sin, this is not good, and you're living for mud pies. But there is good news. There is good news. Verse 11, And such were some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Paul starts off by saying, such were some of you. This means that there was a whole church messed up with all kinds of sin and brokenness and disordered desires. And Paul says, that was who you were, but that is not who you are. What defines you is not sin. It's not sexuality. It's not your desires. It's not your past. What is most important about you is that you are the beloved of God. You might have a past full of sin and horrible choices that wrecks you. That is not who you are anymore because Jesus has entered in and changed everything. What joy it is to know that Christ took all of our sin, including sexual sin, sexual shame, sexual guilt, and bore it on the cross so that we would be made new, so that we would be set free and enter into the kingdom of God today and for all eternity. You are not defined by your sin. You are defined by your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. To be washed here means that Christ, that Christ has forgiven your sins, that your shame has been washed clean. To be justified in this verse means that you've been made right with God, declared righteous not because of what you've done, but by what Christ has done. This is the power of the gospel. It brings forgiveness. It brings healing. It brings redemption. It brings purpose. It brings hope. And it's available today and every day in Christ. Now let me just say... This doesn't mean that life gets easy, nor does it mean that our sexual desires will automatically change. Studies show that most people who are exclusively exclusively attracted to the same sex, those desires usually do not change over time. Now, from a Christian perspective and from verse 11 here, change is possible, but it's not promised. But here's the thing, this isn't the goal. It's not to change from homosexuality to heterosexuality. The goal is to experience holy sexuality. We're all sexually broken, and we all need Jesus to make us holy and whole. Jackie Hill Perry didn't grow up in the church. And from a young age, she recognized that she was attracted to women. So she began to dress like a man and pursue women. And she was known in the black lesbian community as what they would call a stud, which meant that she was the more masculine partner. She was far from God, and she didn't care, but then through the prayers of others, and through the boldness of some friends, she met Jesus, and everything began to change for her. She tells of her story, her testimony, in her book, Gay Girl, Good God, and she says this, and let me just show it to you and read it to you here. She says, I know now what I didn't know then. God was not calling me to be straight. He was calling me to himself. The choice to lay aside sin and take hold of holiness was not synonymous with heterosexuality. In my becoming holy as he is, I would not be miraculously made into a woman who, that didn't like women. I'd be made into a woman that loved God more than anything. The goal was not heterosexuality, but sexual holiness. So for the same-sex attracted people, for married people, for single people, we all look to God for our greatest good and to the church as our family. And here are just some books that I would recommend that I believe do a really good job with Scripture and also addressing a lot of the stories and complexities around this topic. So let me just show you the books here. And all these authors here, authors here are people who experience same-sex attraction. So you see Jackie Hill Perry's book here. There's also another book by Sam Albury, Why Does God Care About Who I Sleep With? And then another one from Rebecca McLaughlin, which is the secular creed. So I would encourage you guys, if you want to keep learning and growing in this topic, these are three books that helped me a lot in my sermon prep for this sermon here. So in verses 9 and 11, what have we seen? We have seen the bad practices of the church. Now let's look at verses 12 to 20. And Paul now moves from behavior to the root issue. He deconstructs the bad theology that has led to these bad practices. And he now constructs a biblical understanding of their bodies and sexuality to lead to God-honoring practices. Now, we won't have time to go through all the verses here because of time, but we will come back to some of these verses as we address in future passages on marriage, on divorce, and singleness. So let's look at verses 12 and 13 here. 12 and 13. It says this, All things are lawful for me, "...but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything." Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, okay? So, what we see here is the two misunderstandings that have led the church down a road of sin and brokenness. The first misunderstanding, is that they're saying, the people in the church are saying that all things are lawful for me. In other words, as long as I'm not breaking the law, I can do whatever I want. Paul pushes back by saying, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. That just because you're not breaking the law, it doesn't mean that you should do it. Just because the law says that you can sleep with a temple prostitute doesn't mean that you should do it. Just because the law says that you can commit adultery and destroy your marriage and family doesn't mean that you should do it. You always have to first ask. Anytime you do any activity is to ask, is this activity helpful and beneficial to me and my church? Does it push me along? in my path in following God. So that's the first misunderstanding. If I'm not breaking the law, I can do whatever I want. No, you can't. Here's the second misunderstanding that Paul addresses. He says that some of the people are saying, food for the stomach and stomach for the foods. This statement is basically saying, the body was meant to enjoy the pleasures of food. Why else would my body be hungry if not to eat? Now, the thing here is that the primary issue that Paul's getting after is not food, but it's how this statement was used to justify sexual desires. Notice in verse 13, he first talks about food, and now in the second half of verse 13, he says the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. How in the world did Paul move from food to sexual morality? This is what people were saying. This is how people were using that argument. They're saying this. If I'm hungry, I eat. If I'm horny, I have sex. That is the natural order of things. Paul's like, no, 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 no. You can't do whatever you want with your body. Well, why not? It's because Jesus died for you. You belong to him. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. Remember, sex is God-given. It is a gift. And because it is given by God, it must be governed by God. Frankly, to say that you're free to do whatever you want with your body is showing that you are not free at all, but that you are out of control. In verse 12, Paul says that you are being dominated. Those of us who are sneaking around, watching porn at night, hoping not to get caught while it's secretly destroying our ministry, Our relationships, our marriage, that doesn't sound like someone who's free. It sounds like someone who's enslaved. Those of us who can't stop sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you're not free. Those of us who move from one troubled relationship to another, you're not free. You are a slave to sin. We are so much more than our physical pleasures. Because, think about this, if we were made for pleasure, why is there so much misery in our world when there is so much instant gratification all around us? That from right here, 10 to 15 minutes from here, we can eat some of the best food in the whole entire world. That on our phones, we can easily find sex, indulge in anything that we want for our lust here. So we're surrounded by all this pleasure surrounding us. Why are we so frustrated and broken as a people? It's because we're trying to satisfy spiritual desires with physical gratification. Our bodies are meant for more. Our bodies are meant for God and to glorify God. Now I know that some would say, why is God so restrictive about our bodies and sex, about who I can sleep with and who I can't sleep with and this and that? Uh, The reason God has placed boundaries around our bodies and sex is to protect us and to help us flourish sexually, morally, and relationally. Uh, That just like a fireplace, fire is good when it's in the fireplace, but when fire gets out of the fireplace and falls on the carpet, on the wooden furniture, it it can become very destructive. We have to understand that everyone puts restrictions on sex. Our society, our society, in our culture today, it has restrictions on sex around age, around family, right, incest, and requiring consent, which is, of course, obvious, right? So the question is not, should we have restrictions, but what are the right restrictions that bring life and flourishing and not harm and pain? But Kenson, doesn't God want to see me happy That's sort of, sort of, of, you know, yes and no. God cares about your happiness, but he cares more about your holiness because that is the place of deep and lasting joy. As a Christian, we are never defined by our lack, but always by our abundance. That no matter what we give up for Christ, we receive so much more in Christ. That we have a new family, we have a new life, we have eternity with Christ, and a never-ending joy of salvation. So honor God with your body. So for all of us who are sexually broken because of sin, how then can we be made sexually whole? This is for all of us here. How can we be made sexually whole? Now, the answer is not by having sex, and the answer is not having sex. You know, we don't believe in justification by abstinence. The answer to being made whole is by belonging to Jesus and having the Holy Spirit dwell in us. Verse 19 and 20 says this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You know, what we read here is so countercultural because the sexual ethic of our culture is built on this idea that I belong to myself, yet the entire sexual ethic of the Bible is built on you are not your own. You have been bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. That when Christ died on the cross for you, his his blood set you free, freed you from the slavery of sin, freed you from the shackles of your past, freed you from the oppression of the enemy. But this freedom is not for you to do whatever you want. It's the freedom for you now to live for the way that God has called you to live. That is to live for God, to know him and to love him and to be known by him and to be loved by him. And that is good news. It's through the blood of Christ we belong to God. So let's give our bodies, let's give our desires to him because God loves us and he is for us. Now, I've said a lot today. So let me just take a moment to pastorally speak to a few different groups that are with us here today. First, if you're here with us today and you're attracted to the same sex, we are so glad that you're with us. I'm glad you're Pastor Rafe, Elder Darren. We are so glad that you're here with us. And maybe you find yourself in the same place of tension that I spoke about earlier in the sermon, about just wrestling with your faith and the desires that you have. I want to encourage you to continue to trust Christ. He is good. He is worth it. He loves you, and you are not alone. You know, we have many people in our church who are attracted to the same sex, and they are faithfully following Jesus. We are with you. And if I can also just say, too, that if you have not made the choice to come out yet and you're quietly wrestling with these desires, can I encourage you to come out with brothers and sisters in Christ whom you trust, who have shown over time that they really care about you? Would you come out and share with them? Now, I know that it's super scary, but let me just say that we can only be loved as much as we are known. We would love to love you. You know, I also want to let you guys know, too, from an announcement from a friend of ours, a Christian brother of mine, and also the pastoral resident of our Rogers Park Church, his name is Chase Sachs. Now, now, Chase is someone who experiences same-sex attraction. He has studied scripture and really wrestled with God about his desires, his longing for companionship, and the shame and guilt of his upbringing. But God has led him to a place where even though his desires haven't changed, he loves God more than anything, and God has put a calling in his life to share the gospel with those who are are in the gay community, and right now he's in our Rogers Park Church being trained up for that kind of work. Now what Chase is doing is that he actually wants to invite other folks in the church all across all our other 13 churches in the city, other Christians at Park who experience same-sex attraction and who want to follow God faithfully, and he wants to invite you to journey together, that what he wants to do is he wants to create a Sunday lunch. Fellowship once a month, you know, probably at the near north church. That he wants to be able to have other folks who, who experience who's on the same journey as he is and just have a chance just to have community to open in God's word and to pray together because he knows better than anyone else just how lonely the journey can be. Currently, there has been no date or time set for that yet. So, if you're really interested about this group and being a part of this group, please reach out to Ray or Darren and they'll be glad to share more information about how you can get a hold of that Sunday lunch fellowship. And here's the final word that I want to say, and it's to the church family. Let's be a community of both conviction and compassion you know now now oftentimes it feels like we have to choose between one of the two one of the two right that either i have conviction but i can't show compassion or, or if i want to love others that i have to forget the truth or soften our convictions no 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 god calls us to both a community of conviction and a community of compassion so on one hand let's be let's have an unashamed conviction of god's word and in the beauty of god's design for human sexuality And let's couple that conviction with compassion. That means coming alongside of people in the church, wherever they're at in the journey, and pointing them to Jesus, and listening and processing and opening up the scripture. It's crying over the wounds and praying for healing. And all of this takes time. And for many of us, we have people in our lives who identify as gay, lesbian, queer. Let me encourage you. Let's love them because God loves them. Now, I know that as soon as I say that, immediately you're thinking, well, that is so hard to do because we live in a culture that says to love somebody, you have to affirm everything about them. That is not true. You don't have to affirm everything about someone in order to love them because if that was the case, we could never parent. If that was the case, we wouldn't be a good spouse. If that was the case, we could never be a good friend. We can love others and still disagree with them. In many ways, this is the most costly type of love. Jesus disagreed with our sins, disagreed with the sins of the world, and he laid down his life for us. Let's love people in our lives and in our city in a way that truly reflects the love of Christ amen amen let's bow our heads and pray you know what I want to do in this moment here is I want to give you some time to just come to Jesus wherever you're at in this journey that, you know we spend a lot of time here today talking about you know same-sex attraction and behavior and so forth if that's what's most pressing in your heart come to the cross but for other of us as well too maybe we've been struggling with our lusts around pornography you know maybe we've been having you know kind of those emotional connections with people that maybe we shouldn't be having you know and compromising our marriage in that way or maybe it's something around just our past and our history some of the mistakes that we made some of the relationships that looking back just you know just it just it just discourages you so much once again i want to remind you that that is not who you are but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been made clean, you are righteous. You are not your sin. You are beloved by your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you wherever you're at right now, just just to come to the cross and to pray, to cry out to him, and to know that your Savior is sufficient, to know that he loves you and he cares for you. And as you guys do that, you know, the band is going to be playing in the background this song, You know, come as you are. And let me just read uh, some of the lyrics here. Come out of the sadness from wherever you've been. Come, brokenhearted, let rescue begin. Come, find your mercy. Oh, sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame, all who are broken. Lift up your face. Oh, wanderer, come home. You are not too far. So lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. So, friends, let's just spend some moment here just praying and confessing, and the worship team will be playing in the background.